Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of the Arizona Field Podcast. Today we have Travis Browning on. Uh, Travis is one of those guys that, well I'll put it this way, if you've ever set foot in archery headquarters even once and you get a guy there saying, hey how's it going and you know just welcomes you right from the get-go, nine times out of ten it's going to be Travis. Uh, he's just one of those guys that everybody gets along with really well. But in terms of that, he's also, or in addition to that rather, he's also a wealth of knowledge on bow hunting, uh, archery tackle, and today we're having him on. We're going to be talking about pretty much what you should be thinking about going into the fall seasons as far as your bow prep. You know, being a bow technician, I figure this is his expertise. Uh, but we're also joined by the Scapoose Kid, Zach Hansen. Uh, Zach's one of those guys, he's, he's like me, he's a recent transplant to the Arizona Um just a really cool kid. I uh, had a lot of fun meeting him, and yeah, I'm not going to talk too much. Just I hope you guys all enjoy the show. Who are you? Yeah, who are you? I, I am the Travis Browning. I uh, run the Archery he uh, Headquarters Pro Shop here in Chandler, Arizona, and um, I work for a man named Randy Phillips. We're one of the largest uh, archery pro shops in the Southwest. We've been around for 30 years, so I've been here for quite a little while uh, long enough to make plenty of mistakes and see a lot of stuff go in and out the door and sitting across from me is the scapoose kid otherwise known <laughs> as zach hansen who are you zach uh, my name is zach i'm from oregon i've lived here in arizona for about three years now um, i don't work in the outdoor field i'm a nurse actually um, but i'm just trying to soak up as much information about deer hunting from uh, from travis and the people here in arizona as i can um, i'm primarily an elk hunter um, I'm from the western side of Oregon towards the coast, so I uh, grew up hunting rosies and and uh, hunting the thick timber, so it's a little different over here. It's a whole different ballgame. game. whole different ballgame, even the elk. <laughs> <laughs> so where does the name Scapoose Kid come from? Like, I know it's probably an Oregon thing, but... <laughs> Uh, Scappers <laughs> is the name of the town that I'm from. It's a it's a little town um, towards the Oregon coast. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Interesting name. You wouldn't know it, but. <laughs> well, well, the joke between Zach and I is both our house, uh, both our parents' house came with wheels on them. You know, we both come from the same trailer park, different small town. He moved out here, and we started hanging out here at the pro shop. And you know, a uh, little plug for Zach. If you guys keep up with Jess's podcast here in a little while brought Zach in because uh, I went to Colorado with him and I've been with some guys who can call before but uh, I was set down and uh, got taught a little thing <laughs> about uh, a guy who can call and a guy who uh, you know right can make a cow call right. you know there's a, there's a difference between calling and talking to him there's a whole different it's a whole different level can you actually have that conversation with these elk yeah oh dude yeah so then he's got the skills yeah he speaks the language man like I said I just sat back and was like I'm just, I'm just never going to put a reed in my mouth again. <laughs> That's fine. But uh, I'm going to, I'll actually be in Oregon with Zach hunting Roosevelt elk. They beat me up on the Roosevelt all the time. It's, yeah. it's Roosevelt. I can't say Roosevelt elk. <laughs> well, being be in Arizona, because it's, it's the same thing with uh, Roosevelt Lake. Yeah. It's Roosevelt, man. <laughs> right. It's, we all give them a hard time about it, too. <laughs> I say all I'm saying is I'm from New York. I'm from where Teddy was from. Yeah. Yeah, and it's Roosevelt. It's Roosevelt. Yep. All right. I still ain't going to change it, man. I still say yellow, too. <laughs> well, I say yellow, especially when I pick up the phone. Uh-huh. So. But, but, yeah, so on this podcast, um, I'm pretty sure I just need to let just Travis just run with it. I think that's it. Right? But oh, uh, come on. We wanted to talk about, so we got the seasons coming up. We have, well, the deer draw is coming up. They just, they just opened up the draw last, last week sometime. Uh, so we're going to have the deer draws coming up. Everybody's already got their tags that drew for tags. 
with the elk draw, the elk and antelope draw we had back in February. So folks are going to be gearing up, uh, having that mindset, okay, I got to get ready for this season. I got to get ready for, uh, even the guys don't draw for the, the, uh, sorry, the August uh, OTC seasons, chasing the, the muleys and the coos and uh, or cows, or if we're going to be on pronunciation, ah, the whole dude, thing. Yeah, man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we got that coming up. Cows, deer. Yeah, it's coos. <laughs> it's it's a it's a coos deer. Yeah, that's, little baby whitetail. We'll just call him little baby whitetail from here on out. That works. Yeah, it's a backpack with antlers. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But yeah, so guys are going to be getting ready for this season. So we want to talk about what should folks be looking at uh, as far as their. Not just their gear, but the way that they're prepping as well. So, like the how they're practicing, not just to practice shooting the bow, but how they practice, and different tips you guys might have on uh, how to go about this. Especially you, Travis, with mm-hmm. working in the pro shop. I mean, well, you see a lot of stuff. Um, probably seeing a lot of stuff that's broken all day, every day. Um, I know we have a story in the lineup for. <laughs> <laughs> we have the, the the crash test dummy for archery here. <laughs> <laughs> if it can be broke, Zach will break it, man. If it can be broke, oh yeah, last minute prep, guys, pulling the bow out from under the under the bed, getting ready for the season. You know, it's fun having Zach here as a kid who was a uh, I call you a kid because I'm older than you, but about twice your age. But you know, having a guy here that that came from you know Western Oregon hunting muleys and really getting his first taste of of Western hunting out in Arizona, the super open, you know, hating the low desert, you know, glass and muleys and chasing it's such a tough hunt out here you know guys don't realize you know western hunting you know i guess the joke is if you can hunt if you can western hunt and and be successful you can hunt anywhere in the world it's very difficult out here you know if you're going to hunt out here it's funny like a a, a coos whitetail man they'll duck you at 30 yards 35 yards but they'll stand there and eat an arrow at 70 right and so it's all going to come down to how like kind of how he behaves but i mean this is also a deer that their number one predator is the lion. Yeah, well, a large jackrabbit can kick their butt, so they're a little high strung. <laughs> you know, I mean, they are just wired so tight. You know, every time they come in, I'm surprised they can't hear the heartbeat in my throat or that, you know, I'm trying not to blink loud, you know, and oh, just, just like, oh, it, there's such a sketchy little animal. And I was a muley hunter for a long time before I started hunting, uh, before I started working at, at, at archery headquarters and Randy Phillips, my boss is a lifetime coos hunter, you know, and, and man, he's like, dude, you got to go out, you got to do it. And I never understood it. And I know Zach, you kind of had the same feeling on that, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we hunted, well, black tails on the West side of Oregon. Um, which are which are ghosts as it is, you know, but it's a different kind of ghost. And then um, over on the eastern side of Oregon, we hunted mule deer. Um, and kind of like here, you have a little more success with the mule deer. They're a little easier to hunt. They're not as smart, you know. Um, right. The the black tail are pretty similar to coos deer, like as far as um, difficulty to hunt. Um, they they pop out in the morning into the cuts, and then they're back back in the the heavy timber until the evening and they just they don't give you a lot of opportunity so is it with the blacktails then is it mostly the deer are really wily or is it just that the habitat is really hard to hunt uh they're really wily they compared are. to mule deer yeah um but the habitat just makes it that much worse um the whole western side of oregon and part of washington is just covered in blackberry bush 
and um, stinging nettle and poison oak and it's just it's not a good place to go sounds terrible trenching through the woods so <laughs> we got and snakes and cactus out well, that's here, what I was thinking. So, you know i'm used to getting stuck by stuff but like i've dealt with stinging nettles and i don't like them it's, <laughs> it's not great they're no. not fun you hit a patch all. and it's just yeah your, your day's over <laughs> yeah no. it's but yeah, gear and prep, dude. Yeah. Gear and prep. Yeah, you know, you know, being the pro shop guy, everybody wants to talk about about gear. You know, being a pro shop guy, being uh, in this industry, you know, and seeing everything come and go. Everybody has the questions about, you know, what do you want? What do you run? What do you run? What do you run? Why do you run it? Everything. And I'm a keep it simple, stupid guy. You know, I really am, and and you know, it's all about getting into your gear and running it, and you know, and because I run a pro shop, you know, and, and I do this for a living, you know. It's, it's, I'm really kind of biased because I'll tell you that the setup on your bow is the most important thing. The setup on the bow. Setup. Is it set up to you? You know, is your peep sight good? Is your anchor good? Is your draw length absolutely perfect? You know, everybody right now wants to be shooting 85, 90 pounds. Yeah, because that's, that's the big fad right now is you get the, like, the YouTube guys are mm -hmm. all shooting 80-pound bows. Dude, man, if I was taking the poke all day like Rogan, dude... And he admits it, you know, that, man, he, that, the little dude's a mutant. You know, <laughs> same thing with Cammy Cam. Cammy Cam's a mutant, man. You know, I mean, these guys, you know, especially Cam. Cam's been shooting bows for 30 years, 35 years. You know, I shoot bows for a living. Yeah, I could pull an 85, 90-pound bow. I've done it. You know, I almost prolapsed my anus one time on a 90-pound monster safari. You know, I had to sky draw it, but I got her back. But the question is, can you do it sitting on your butt, opening morning, with your back against a tree, cold with no warm-up? Right. You know, everybody wants that high arrow speed, you know, and then everybody gets in the discussion about heavy FOC, and there's all this information online. Everybody has an opinion online. You know, I'm in a very, very cool position to be more, a little bit more, you know, in the center of everyday average guys and what equipment works across the board. You know, the shop's been here for 30 years. I mean, Randy Phillips... You know, I mean, that guy's got 30 years of knowledge behind him, man. You know, Fred Eichler came up hunting with Randy Phillips. You know, just really cool Dick Tone coaches here. There's just some really, really cool people in this industry that I deal with. So we're able to filter everything out into, into a little bit more everyday average guy. Right. So you're, at, you're, you're here actually separating the wheat from the chaff. Mm -hmm. Like what's fluff, what's not. 100%, man. It's funny because because we're western hunters right um you, there was a huge explosion of heavy foc stuff yeah all these crazy big you know cloverleaf broadheads and shooting 225s and all this stuff just i'm just out of curiosity do you think that came from the resurgence of trad bows no no just, not just at all. So where did it come from <laughs> like where did the high foc come from yeah well i don't you know there, there there's a couple names associated with that and it is what it is but <laughs> the problem is there's nothing new in archery Right. Well, like your shirt says, founded 20,000 BC. Yeah. It's been around a while. 100%, man. There's nothing new in archery, but everybody needs a new talking point. Everybody needs something new to sell. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, back east, you know, because there's the, the joke, the joke in, in a Western pro shop versus an Eastern pro shop is that guys on the East Coast don't even tune their bows. You're going to shoot out of a tree from 16 to 25 yards. Right. That's, that's the window. That's your line of sight. Yeah. So you could put a whisker biscuit on there and a five-pin fixed sight and rock and roll all day long. I get guys that come in my shop all the time that moved here yep. from the East Coast, from, from Georgia, wherever. And I tell them, yeah, we take 65-yard shots. I tell them I tune my broadheads to 110 yards because I can. You know, <laughs> and they're just... 
I, oh, I can't believe you'd shoot something that far. I'm like, listen, man, we're trying to sneak across bubble wrap with zero cover to shoot an animal with satellite dishes for ears that can almost see behind it. But the average distance between a juniper tree is about 50, 60 yards. That might be all the cover you get out here. Because yep. you ever try and pull it? You've tried to pull a bow back with a deer watching. How'd it go? <laughs> not great. It's not great. <laughs> Weird. Almost like they don't want to die. Yeah. So, you know, so, so it, it, there, there are different styles of hunting. And I won't take anything away from the East Coast boys and shooting animals and doing what they do. And it's just, I want to go back east. I want to shoot a doe so bad. I've been busted on more hunts by does. That I care oh, to dude, think about. Old, yeah, it, there's something about that old dry doe that's just, you know, one more time, blow up me one more time. Just once I want to say that and actually yeah. be able to knock back and, <laughs> and let one rip. Wrong day, sweetie. You know, yeah, and there's something about that up. old doe because she always knows. It doesn't matter how good your setup is, she'll walk in and look up. Hmm? Like, hey, I spotted you. And just. Yeah, that's that's one thing about East Coast, like you just mentioned. Is it's pretty easy to. I mean, you can shoot. What? Well, in New York, we're we're conservative state as far as tags go. We can shoot, I think five or seven or something like that in a year. Yeah. So, so just for reference, here in Arizona, you can shoot one deer a year. <laughs> yep, uno verado. Yeah. Well, or venado. But we I mean we do have a really high quality of animal here. You know, right. when it when it comes to our mule deer and obviously elk in Arizona. You yeah, know, it's the land of the giants. 20 to top 50. Yeah. That being said, most of them came off the res, jumped the wrong <laughs> fence, got shot. But, you know, we shoot a lot of big elk here, you know. But deer season's deer season. Uh, this season's going to be a little bit tougher, but we can get into that. But gear-wise, you know, just um, – you know, my, my opinion is, is worth exactly what you pay for it. You know, my deal is figure out which cold shot is. Yep. Figure out which cold shot is. I mean, that's my game. I get a new bow every single year, and I set it up preseason. You know, and like I said, I'm very, very simple about the, the, the gear that I run and what I run. And I tell guys all the time, buy the best piece of gear you can afford. You know, and that might not be a Hamsky Trinity. A lot of guys aren't going to go, you know, 150 plus on a rest. Right. You know, we deal with most of my guys are blue collar, got families coming in and, and peeling out $200 on a rest, man. That's, that's a bite, but you buy the best equipment you can. And that's, um, I always think of myself like a dating service, you know, <laughs> I don't make commission in my shop. I'm in a position in my life where I can do this. I can afford to do this. Um, and I don't need to make a ton of money because there's no golden handcuffs in archery. I do this because I love to do it. Um, I shoot bows and talk about hunting. I, I get to hang out with you guys all day long and if randy phillips knew that at least once a week i walk down my hall and i laugh because i actually get paid to do this <laughs> it's a pretty sweet gig i'm an adult child bro <laughs> i get paid well, i think anybody walking the shop could have told you that part oh i know <laughs> <laughs> come in archie headquarters man it's no joke but you know so i'm like a dating service man like you, you come in you tell me what you're trying to do and i always ask a very no bs what's your budget man and i will help put you in the best piece of equipment i can obviously you know being a pro shop you know uh this is this is the world's uh tightest knitting group you know this is very reputation based if i sell you a piece of equipment and you know and it doesn't function the way it's supposed to that's not a rest manufacturer issue that is an archery headquarters issue you know that's an archery headquarters issue whether it's a, it's, it's a failure go ahead and tell them the story about that rest don't use a name though 
That's just rude. Yeah. <laughs> no call outs, right? I, um, I I bought a brand new rest here. I will say it was it was a mid tier rest. On. He got a brand new boat too. I did. He I, was she like listen, he was shooting something pretty janky. So yeah, so when I moved here from Oregon I was shooting uh I was shooting an older bow. It was uh it wasn't spray painted till I got down here actually. We, we sp- It wasn't what till you got down here? <laughs> we spray painted it. Um no rattle can't finish. I wasn't satisfied with the uh, the camo that was on there that I had bought in 2013. So uh, Travis gave her the old spray job, and that was peeling, and it was it was a classic. So I bought a new bow this year. Um, I ended up getting a new rest for it. It was a mid tier rest. Um, it wasn't wasn't high end, um, which they did. They did warn me about, you know, but um, I bought it. I flew my bow back to Oregon a couple weeks ago, and um, I was out shooting with my uncle, and um, we heard, like, a, a ding, and I was like, what was that sound, you know? Something, he was like, You're, something went flying off the side of your bow, and uh, we go looking over my bow, and uh, the launcher, yeah, the launcher for the rest uh, just went flying, like, six <laughs> feet off in the air, and uh, it snapped, like, the... No, Travis has got the technical terms no, I got for no these pieces. Nothing. It's a, the little piece that comes yeah. off the side snapped off, and uh, the whole the whole launcher just went flying. Um, I mean, they did they did get me a new one, so you know you can't complain about that. But um, well, we did get him a new one, but he did hit the upgrade button. I, I called my manufacturer, and this is a very good rest. Yeah. Right, but right now the archery industry is like we're in the weeds. I mean bow manufacturers you you order a brand new matthews right now you're 12 to 14 weeks i've been in this business a while and never seen it like this rest manufacturers same thing so i don't know if qc's down a little bit and they're just trying to crank things out and i i you know being who i am i call you know i know the guy that was in the death story went on a texas hunt with him you know and i call him up and say hey man like i can't have this he's like dude that that's a piece of that's a solid stainless steel post and you know i do a lot of steel work and i took a look at that that post and you can see where there was a void in there you know it's just a a a one-off you know just a a million and one chance that that would that would snap but you know zach shoots his equipment all the time you shoot your stuff all the time could you imagine if that would have happened on a once in a lifetime you know, bomber 110 koozie coming in. You go to full draw on that land. That that launcher peels off. He'd never talk to me again. <laughs> Wouldn't have been a good I would, day. I wouldn't really blame him. <laughs> right? Right. That's that's the way it goes. And that crap happens. And that's you know. And that's just Zach doing his diligence and shooting all the time. I don't understand guys that don't shoot their bows all the time. No, because I mean, shooting is a perishable skill. I mean, it it doesn't matter if you're shooting a bow, a rifle, or a damn slingshot. It's a perishable skill. You're gonna. Yeah, and you see the you see you see it all the time. Mm-hmm. Guy, like you said, the guy's taking it off from under the mattress in August. They'll take it on August first for an August tenth opener, and it's you know half the time you know the half time for that that first and the tenth is just getting the thing set up again. Yeah. So oh yeah, this is kind of wonky. This is kind of janky. This is kind of and then mm-hmm. you actually got to shoot like three or four days. Their muscles are so dang sore. You know, you're shooting a dozen arrows, and you're shooting, I mean, you're shooting a pie plate at 20 yards, calling it good. Mm-mm. I mean, on the East Coast, you can get away with it. Yep. But Listen, I thought it was bad back home with people pulling their bows out, you know. 
a, a month or two before season i because i've always shot year round i'm just like that's that's odd to me you know right. but coming down here and seeing people like um hanging out at the bow shop they're like yeah I, you know drew a drew a, a bull <laughs> tag this year you know i haven't shot this bow in 15 years but i just kind of right, pulled the last it out. time they got a bow tag yeah, yeah yeah it's crazy to me like oh yeah we're on, we're on an 8 to 10 year average on a good bull tag. Yeah. Like a good bull tag, like a 127, you know, like a banger. You know, and I'm not saying those old bulls aren't good. I restring a million of them. I tune them. I can, you know, we can make them shoot bullets. But, yeah, like you said, they're, you know, you're going to pull your bow out, and it's got the same strings that have been on there. And, and the rule of thumb is two years, 2,000 shots. Right. You know, you got a janky old set of strings, you know, and an old school launcher on there. And, you know, and you want to get this thing running to go do a, a tag you've been waiting 10 years for. You know, and that's just, man, that's, you're going out to wound. Mm -hmm. Really, you're going out to wound. You know, and that's, and the, the younger generation, you know, because the problem is mostly, you know, they'll be shooting a bow that's 15 years old. Chances are you're an old guy. Like, you know. To have a bow that's that, yeah. You yeah. better got passed down on one or the other. Exactly. And he's killed a million deer with it and done whatever, and he gets his bull tag and wants to get it restrung, quick snap. And, yeah, and it's, and like you said, anything hand-eye coordination is a perishable skill. You have to keep up with this crap, man. you got to mm -hmm. shoot all the time. You know, I, I mean, uh, Go out to usury. Usuries are, you know, for people that are listening, is our big 3D range. Beautiful. I mean, covered. You can shoot from 15 to 100 yards on the four-foot bales. There's walking courses with full-size 3Ds and then big back targets and elevated positions. It's tons of fun. You can go out there on a Saturday right now, and there'll be four or five other hard uh, nobody out there nobody out there the last couple. Oh, and I was out there for hours, dude. Right. Not another person. So... But preseason, you go out there, and it's guys chasing arrows all over the place. Yeah. Trying, you know. You like, can't find a bale to shoot at. Oh, God. It's just, it's insane. It's the same thing. I have an indoor range here, right? We've got a 30-yard range right on the other side of that wall. You know, you come in Saturdays right now. It's a little busy. Preseason, dude, it's hell on wheels. Yeah. You know, guys guys just, you know, trying to, trying to make that old equipment work. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. And, you know, but my job is to, these new bows are awesome. Like, Let's quit wounding. Let's get out there and do some killing. <laughs> you know, right? But that's that's in your position as a bow shop. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of you kind of have to. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's always about. I mean, it's not always about the upsell, but it definitely it definitely helps. No, no, no. We're a retail shop. Right. Hundred percent. I sell bows. Right. I sell equipment, man, and that is a large part of it. But um, you can come in my shop. I'll be the last guy that'll ever upsell anything. I will make your equipment work. The joke around the shop is we make it work. I have machine parts in my shop. I have I have done some really janky stuff to get guys' old bows up and going. You know, if, if they're not in a position where they can't make the jump or do something, I will always, always get your equipment running. I can tune anything. You know, I just, you know, I've been at this a long time. If it walks in that door, I can tune it. If I can't tune it, I'll make a phone call. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of people, and my, my the guy that was my bow tech was a ninja. The guy before him now works for Hoyt. You know, archery headquarters, man. They, you know, it's just, yeah, there's a lot of really cool people in here. And, and we can always make it work. But I always like to see guys that are shooting an older bow, you know, back in the days when they were blowing bows up to get to 260 feet per second. Yeah, back in the old overdraw days. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> Got an 85-pound set of limbs on a dart with an overdraw shelf. Yeah. Shooting some double X-75s out of there, trying to rip a 260 banger. You know, with the world's jumpiest, gnarly baby cams, dude. 
And I always ask him, you ever, you ever shot a newer bow? Why don't, you know, why don't we just shoot one, man? Because even the mid-level bows now, you know, you take a Hoyt Torex, PSE Drive NXT, that's a mid-price range bow, you get them to shoot one arrow through those, and they're like, oh. It's a whole new world. Oh. It's well, we joke around with these guys, dude. I mean, I, I, when I got back into this, I, was a, I grew up in Tonopah, Arizona. You know, look it up. Those who are listening, Tonopah, Arizona, <laughs> looking up. I went to high school in Buckeye. But, you know, I was a rifle hunter, you know, and, and we hunted off a horseback for years, and we used to shoot deer off the Odom's alfalfa fields, you know, and, and archery was just kind of fun because we ate deer. You know, that was a, was, a, was a way to, you know, see rifle hunt, right? You, know, you want to kill stuff, you take a rifle. You want to sometimes kill stuff, you take a bow. You right. want to go on some beautiful walks and get some great pictures of you in a recurve? Take a recurve. You know, you want some great sunrise pictures? Take a stick string. You know? <laughs> but, you know, and I got, you know, and I, and I didn't hunt for a while because my son was a uh, competitive soccer player. Then I raised a bunch of kids and didn't hunt, got back into archery, and I didn't have two grand to spend. You know, I got a family, you know, kids, everybody. My hunting partner bought a bow, you know, and I came down and bought a Hoyt Charger and was just blown away killed some stuff with it and obviously you know i got strung out and then you know landed here but the mid mid-range bows you know are just they're nuking everything that ever came out in the 90s man they're just so smooth so fast mm -hmm. you know and and you you can do so much at 60 to 65 pounds which brings us back to that you it, don't need to go uh, up that high it doesn't add inches it, it doesn't add inches, you know, and I, I was a speed freak for a long time, man. I shot turbos forever, ripping arrows at 314 feet per second, you know, ripping a, a medium weight arrow at 314 feet per second. You know how, I want to know how I got out of that? Ask me how I got out of that. How'd you get out of that? I missed a coos deer at 40 yards. Got ducked. First coos deer, right? This is shooting a 300 plus bow. He got ducked at 40. So I was, this was my first ever coos deer hunt and I was sitting water and this was a very wet year, a very wet year. This was three, four years ago. So normally our monsoon season hits. So you do all this preseason scouting, right? You got your tank picked out, you're running your cams, man. I got my bucks picked out, you know, I'm dialed in, man. I got some growers in there, man. I got my one, two bucks, man. And <laughs> right at the beginning of season, the monsoons hits. And there's water everywhere, and they quit coming in. Yep. So, you know? so that year, exactly that happened. It was a hot year. And I got to hike up through Hell's Half Acre, you know, with a blind on my back. Two weeks, three weeks early, cut my blind in, get it ready. Figure, I want to kill a coos deer, right? You can spot and stalk them while you want. Great, great. You, you the great white hunter. You a, you a desert ninja. You, want, you can spot and stalk a coos. I'm not there yet. I will admit that about myself. I am not that great a hunter yet. One day. <laughs> 100%, man. I'll be like Adam Kabai, who was, who was my bow tag. We call him the, the brown bandito, man. That kid can, that man, that kid can spot and stock coos and smoke them. Yep. And I ain't there yet. It's almost at water. My first one, almost at water. So day five, sitting water here in the sunny state of Arizona in August. It's a hell of a time to be sitting in one spot and out in the open. <laughs> and that blind hot, man. I'm in there in my T-shirt and my boots. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> man, you, you won't strip down soaking wet day five man and nothing's coming in finally this little crabby buck comes in i'm like i'm i'm you guys sat blinds right yeah yeah everybody thinks sitting water is an easy deal talk to me day five 
talk to me day five when it's 112 out and humid you know and you're on the struggle bus dude and you're falling apart and this little crabby buck comes in and he hits my 41 yard spot and i'm like this is it i don't even care at this because i had bigger bucks that were coming in on camera right i had much much high more high quality bucks coming in but this guy happened to show up first mm-hmm. you know and of course I don't know about you guys, but I forget everything that's ever been told to me ever the moment an animal comes in. <laughs> so coos deer. Coos deer, you got 90 seconds right around there when they hit water. All right, they're going to come, come in for you know a minute and a half, two minutes, and get water and bail. Because they, they get attacked. Um, big cats hunt on water just like we do. So when they come into a tank, they are super high strung. Oh, my God. They're just, just wired super tight. You can see them. They're all bunched up, you know. And Randy had, had talked to me. He's like, dude, you got to let them get a drink. Stand up. They'll look around. They'll do this like a, they'll do a, like a balk where they'll, they'll get a drink and then they'll, they'll, they'll flinch real quick and they'll look around, you know. And then they'll get another drink. And you watch them. The shoulders are actually re- relax. Day five, I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> day five yeah, there's no waiting involved no that little buck hit 40 yards man i went to i went to anchor you know i'm machine shop now dude i wrench back i'm like oh you're dead i'm shooting a hoyt uh defiant turbo just an absolute flamethrower i'm like 40 yards i don't get no nobody ducking this man yeah i don't let that buck relax man i wrench back go to full draw and i that pin comes up that arrow goes away and that deer turned into neo from the matrix <laughs> my, he ducked that his chest hit the ground and he was 66 yards away before i could blank and i was nonplussed just broken like hat in my hands like i am switching to golf man like i missed a deer at 40 yards just day five man that was my because you get one shot out there right guys yeah you get one shot man uh, this i mean you know, on you, a coos yeah there's no second it's no oh. And on a hunt, you know, a lot of times in our hunts, you can go out for weeks and get one shot on an animal. You know, whether it's mule, deer, elk, you're probably going to get one opportunity where things line up perfectly and you are going to get your shot on an archery hunt. You know? Right, right. Especially out here. You're going to get one good shot, and I thought I blew it. Dude, and was just crushed, man. So you've missed. Everybody in here has missed. Yeah. On an animal. If somebody says they haven't, they haven't missed, they're either a liar or they've been doing this long enough. <laughs> right. And it's soul-crushing when you miss a deer. Especially when you miss it, miss it. Yeah. <laughs> One thing to get a little fur on the broad head. <laughs> it's another thing to be like, that went sailing way over. That's about a quarter mile arrow. You know, and I'm sitting there with my hat in my hands, and I got very lucky that a bigger buck, a high-quality buck came out, calmed down, relaxed, you know, let him get a drink. Dude, got control of myself. You know, remembered nose-to-mouth breathing, right? Mm-hmm. Fight or flight, dude. You breathe through your mouth. Watch it. You fought. Watch the guy that's just breathing out of his mouth. You're going to destroy him, right? Yeah. If he ain't nose to mouth, he's, he's lost control. Yeah. That's just, that's just the way it goes, man. Yep. Mouth breathing's fight or flight. If you can control your breathing, you can control yourself. Yeah, the same way when I was wrestling, it's the exact same thing. As yep. soon as you saw him, he's sucking air, you got him. You're done. Like, I'm going to destroy you. Yeah. And it's like you, you're, you're forgetting your basics at that point, you know, and... and anytime yeah. you see that, no matter if it's in sport, if you're hunting, you know, you're, you're not focused on the one thing that you should be focused on at that point right. you're just focused on keeping your feet on the ground like you can't That's even breathe it. right at this point like how are you gonna make a shot you know <laughs> right it's the most in- instinctual thing and you yeah and it's out of it's out of whack yeah yeah so next buck comes out control myself nose to mouth let him relax he's chilling wrench back put the shot on him 
he, this one, he jumped the string a little bit, and I, and he jumped right into it, hit him in the hip, exited the front shoulder, cut the femoral artery. He went 40 yards dead. And that was the last speed bow I ever bought. That was it. That bow was very hard to shoot. Yeah. Very hard to shoot. You know, your pan position had to be perfect. 75% cams. You had to be so dialed in, you know, to get that arrow to travel perfectly out of that bow. And it was fun to shoot because you can rocket arrows, a flat trajectory, you know, out practicing shooting 3Ds at 125, 130, and making good shots on it. Great, goody gumdrops. I missed a deer at 40 yards. And arrow speed had nothing to do with it. Now my bows, 280 to 295. They're easy to shoot. They're super forgiving. You know, I'm shooting, uh, I'm getting new bows this year has been kind of a game, but I got out of the, the turbo cams, you know, and went to a very forgiving, very easy bow to shoot to make a good shot instead of a fast shot. That's good to know because, I mean, it's, I'm in that same boat. Well, cause I've never been that big of a guy. Hmm? So for me, draw length has always been the issue. So mm -hmm. I can never be fast yep. unless I got really janky with it. Mm -hmm. So, it's always been my, you know, being an East Coast guy, you know, I didn't need speed. Um, you know, so those 60s, I, I shoot a 65 pound bow now yeah. and I can make the shots and they can, and then, but it's not just the shots, but even when I'm practicing, I can sit there and I can hold it. I don't have to worry. I'm like, I shot a PSE for a little while mm -hmm. and just, I, I couldn't shoot it as well. Yeah. And it was the same price point when I'm shooting now, same everything else, but it was just a little bit jumpy. Not forgiving. Not, and it's not what, and it was fun to shoot. It wasn't fun to hunt with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, and I think that's something that a lot of folks are starting to go with. I know the industry is kind of going that way a little bit too. Is like we've kind of hit, and I want to know your opinion on this because to me it seems like we've kind of hit a max, as you know, physics won't allow us to go any faster. So now you're starting to see these manufacturers are starting to get away from the speed, and you're starting to go more comfort. You're starting mm -hmm. to see a lot of emphasis on you know, what do they call it? dead in hand you know making a bow that's just as when you punch that trigger you're not, you're not supposed to punch it but when you pull that trigger it ain't going anywhere yep. that bow's gonna set it's not gonna jump it's not gonna it's the bow's not gonna affect your shot it's all mm -hmm. on you yeah and and is that am i kind of on the right track with that the way i've been kind of looking at it okay so zach making a jump from a mid price line bow to a matthews v3 what do your groups look like at 100 yards they're they're a lot better than they were, I tell you that. <laughs> right. Okay, so efficiency-wise, yes. We are topped out, right? Like, we're like 80, 80, 85, 86. It's insane how efficient these bows are. We've been topped out on speed for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, and IBO speed is the greatest lie that's ever been propagated by the archery industry. The only person I know that gets IBO speed, Randy Phillips. He's 6'6". Right, six, six. I was going to say, he's a tall dude. He's got a 33 or 34 and a half inch natural draw. He could put a spark plug on the end of his arrow and shoot a pass through. <laughs> yeah. It, we're, he's not even allowed to talk about broadheads, man, <laughs> or kinetic energy, because ain't nobody want to hear from the big man, dude. It doesn't matter. He can shoot that bow at 45 pounds and still shoot through a buffalo, dude. Right. I'm just saying for the folks that might not know what IBO speed is. Yeah. So that's the advertised feet per second, right? So the IBO says, oh, man, this bow is IBO at, at, at 343 feet per second. You know, so everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to buy this bow and I'm going to shoot my arrow at 343. Right. Dude, I, I'm shooting my bow at, at 70, 
273 pounds, 29 and a half, 30 inches, depending on how I'm feeling in the day, if I stand up straight or slouch. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I'm kicking arrows at 295. The IBO speed on that bow is 335 feet per second right because they shoot an ultra they shoot a really light arrow at maximum draw and in perfect conditions and the longer you stay at full draw the slower your bow gets right so when they do ibo they hook up a they'll either do it through a hooter shooter that goes to full draw and automatically rips that arrow and you get the best speed out of it so they are all fast 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 so we've been topped out on bow speed for a while everybody's tried you know, PSE and a couple other companies have come out with some rockets that are advertised 360s. And you really get, um, once again, going back to very being very, very tough to shoot. Mm -hmm. Hand position has to be perfect, right? Like everything has to be so dialed in. So really in the industry, what's happened is the shootabilities went through the roof. Well, so on my side of the desk, we talk about a sweet spot. Right on my defiant turbo, the sweet spot was very small. Um, everything had to be perfect my front hand, my back hand, face pressure, don't grab the release, follow through, everything to get that thing to shoot well. Um, you guys' bows have a very, very, especially that Matthews V3, yeah. has the world's largest sweet spot. Your hand position can be a little bit off. It's got cams the size of baby's heads on it. You know, it's, it, it's super smooth, super quiet, super dead in the hand, right? And you can be a little off, and it's still going to deliver an almost perfect arrow. You know, almost perfect being if we were to go shoot paper, Right? If your hand position is absolutely perfect and your bow's tuned well, you're going to shoot a banger fat bullet hole. Just an absolute ringer, which I would tune out. I shoot all my bows knock high. That's just a thing. But um, hand position absolutely perfect, and they'll shoot a bullet hole every single shot. Right? Go in the tune room with me. We'll shoot some paper. Do this, do this, do this. Bang, it'll shoot a. Nobody has perfect hand position in the moment. You don't, dude. You're going you're gonna to grip that thing, man. You're holding on to your release. You're in a crap position. Your feet are bad. You know, right. you're nervous in the service. You're yoked up, dude. You can hear your heart beating your ears. You know, <laughs> your hand position, probably not really worried about it, but that bow will still deliver a arrow that is, when we, when we talk about shooting uh, through paper, that will still be inside the fletching. So the, the deviation is very, very small in, in how that arrow comes off of there. So, yes, speed's no longer an issue. It's, it's, they're all fast. They're all smooth. The shootability is just through the roof, man. You can take a brand-new shooter, have them, and I never, do, I never do paper tuning with brand-new guys. I tell them, go shoot two, three weeks, man, bring it back to me, and we'll go through that. Right, because your form is going to influence a ton of that when you're shooting brand-new. Yeah, well, I mean, so we're a lessons for life shop. Right, you buy a bow from us. Um, we're going to take you in the range. I'm going to slap your hand a little bit. We're going to take care of all the big form issues. You know, there's three or four things I want you to get really right to start. I want you to practice those. Next time you come in, I'll give you something else to work on, and we'll keep going. And in two and a half, three weeks, if you want to come in and then shoot paper because of the internet. Because everybody can get on YouTube and see Dudley and all these guys and Bomar and all these big influencers shooting paper and talking. Everybody wants to do that, and that's great. 
that's absolutely awesome. I've seen the paper rack ruin more shooters really realistically than it's ever helped. You know, it's just, man, guys get way strung out on that. In my shop, we call you a turbo squirrel. You know, once you go way down the rabbit hole chasing paper tears. But, it, I mean, it's good, it's good practice, but, you know, and in a couple of weeks, you know, yeah, I could take you in the paper rack and get you to, you know, teach you really about hand position and what it looks like to shoot a very, very good arrow and, and you know, and where you need to be. And that's just where we're at with this industry. The bows are so good, dude. These young kids that I work with who have never had a tuna darting. Or a high country, <laughs> <laughs> or a thunderbolt, or a Viking, you know, or some teardrops bow, you know, where it takes. Uh, I gotta ask, when was the last time somebody brought in an Oneida? Oh man, dude, I, uh, Johnny Young. Johnny Young. Johnny Young, the Johnny Young. So, dude, man, he's from Philly. He bought one somewhere, and yeah, and, and yes, I, I still do Oneidas. You know, that's my deal. If it shoots an arrow, I'll take care of it. You know, we still see the Oneidas. I had an 85-pound high country, or no, was it a high country? Anyway, it was just, you know. But, dude, I sacrificed chickens to get those things to shoot bullets. You know, there's voodoo magic. And these kids who have never shot them that I work with, you know, we're with a bunch of young kids who have only ever shot new bows. And I'm like, hey, go tune this. Mm -hmm. Give it to them, man. Do the paperwork. Get all your baselines and tell them go tune it. You know, they're, dude, the hand shock. You know, you shot old bows. Yeah, it's jumps out of your hand man. they're fun they're definitely fun that's a fishing bowl my friend yes because <laughs> when it blows up you throw it in the lake get on get on craigslist and buy another one but yeah so and that's just like shot placement shot placement shot placement and we're all pushing enough kinetic energy you know to punch through anything in north america and make a good shot i don't care who you are you shoot an elk in the front shoulder it's going to sound like you hit a tree and she's going to run off but nowadays, like mule deer, coos deer out here, even the front shoulder with the broadheads we run at 65 pounds in your draw length. What's your draw length? Uh, I'm short. I'm like 27, 27 and a half. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Right? Even, even at 27 inches, you can hit a coos deer in the front shoulders. Chances are it's poking through oh, the you're opposite gonna side. Yeah. You know? Yeah, full-size weight tails back east, I got no problem. You know, that's at, yeah. not at 60 yards. That's at 20 yards with a 30-degree deg decline. But yeah. Yeah. But even at 60 yards, you're still going to smash that buck. Right. You know, but, you know, so like I said, there's a lot of scuttlebutt out there, and there's a lot of, hey, like I said, there's nothing new in archery, and everybody has to have something new to talk about, you know, and it's four-fletch. That comes around all the time, back to three-fletch and four-fletch, and, and 125, 150, 175. My guys in this shop, 100 grains. Yep. With a good broadhead. We actually, you know, what's funny is, is everybody wants to talk about arrow arrow weight arrow weight arrow weight and speed and all this and that and i tell everybody all the time it's broadhead angle mm -hmm. it's all about broadhead angle man you get a nice swept back broadhead angle i got a couple females in here that are absolute murderers i mean we're talking about 135 pound little girls man 25 and a smoking half them at 50 pounds shooting unit one bull yeah making good shots man shooting them in the squishy bits Cause I mean, it's cause I I kind of attribute this going back to the gun stuff. Is what's the legal minimum for elk uh, draw weight here in Arizona? Is Arizona's it, I tell people it's, it well technically it's, like, it's thirty pounds. Third okay, I was thinking thirty five, but yeah, it used to be thirty five. But so you can legally, and they're not going to make it legal. It's not ethical. Hmm? Ethically kill something with a thirty five. You know, your range is going to be a lot shorter. Hmm? But to me, it's the same thing that kind of goes in my head of how come with some certain calibers. People will attribute to be a youth gun. Mm -hmm. 
and you know so oh you know if you're taking your kid out for his first elk hunt um i've seen folks talk about two uh 243s which you know it might have pretty light but yeah. 243 seven out of eight six and a half creed mm-hmm. say well that'll, that'll kill an elk but time but when it comes to them buying a gun, oh yeah, you gotta have at least a 300 wind Three, you're even, What are you then doing? Then why the hell is the kid shooting a seven <laughs> mil out eight? It's if he can shoot it ethically, why can't you shoot it ethically? And you're a better shot. You should be. Yeah. Well, now now we're getting into the the fragile male ego. Yeah, I know, but that's <laughs> that's, 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 that's a same conversation. Yeah. Which to me, that because that's what goes through my head is you know the 80, 90 pound bows. But like you just said, you have these shooters. Hmm? Like I shoot 65. There's folks who shoot 45, 50, 50, 55 pounds. They're shooting those seven out eights of the archery world, mm-hmm. but Joe Schmo's got to shoot a 300 Win Mag, a 300 Rum, or mm-hmm. you know, a 416 Rigby. I don't know what the hell they're shooting, yeah. but yeah. I ordered more 80 pound bows this year than I've ever ordered. Yeah. More 80 pound bows have been put on order this year than ever before, and that's just that's just our influencers. I hate that word. I do. It, it's a it's a it's a terrible word. But it's the most accurate because these folks truly are influencing oh. culture, even though they're not. You know, they're not all part of the industry. You know, as in the old sense of mm-hmm. the word, but they are in the new sense. Oh, you can talk all you want about all the noise you want about Cami Cam. We call them the Reverend Cam Haynes, right? The Reverend Cam Haynes, man. Everybody he, quotes him. When he, we all knew who Cam Haynes was forever. Zach's from Oregon, so Cam Haynes. Eh. Yeah. Come on, tell me you love him. It's an up and down. <laughs> it's an up and down. <laughs> Local boys. But, uh, you know, I had, so once he got together with, with Joe Rogan, because like I said, we all followed Cam Haynes for years, you know, on his writing and who he was and the backpack guy and the ultra runner and just being a machine in the field. You can't take anything away from that man. He worked really hard to get where he is, 100%. Yep. I don't know what you do at lunch. I don't run a half marathon. <laughs> Ever. Ever. Never. Uh-uh. I carry across my mind. I carry a Glock. I don't run. They're better. <laughs> I got, if there's six of them, I might run. There's only two of them, I'm going to stay in a fight. You know, but, you know, the guy's a machine is what it is. But when he met Joe Rogan, because everybody um, knew who Joe Rogan was, they got together, and then all of a sudden, Cam Haynes blew up. Like, went crazy. Right? And then when once that happened... Um, I'm going to use a term, and it's not derogatory by any means, but it's just is what it is. We call them dinks. Double income, no kids. That's a dink, mm-hmm. right? These are young kids that grow up on podcasts, listen to stuff, you know. And I had a bunch of kids come in once Cammy Cam got together with Rogan and came in my shop, have never stepped foot off of the pavement, wanted to know how to get into bow hunting because those guys are so passionate about it so passionate about it and talking about it and creating interest which sucks for somebody like me that this last elk draw there were 18,000 new applicants Mm -hmm. in Arizona putting in for my tags get back on your PSE Xbox man I need you (laughs) in a few (laughs) luckily at the same time like so I I look at that with a double as a double-edged sword Mm -hmm. because exactly how you just mentioned it that's that much more competition on i i don't know how to describe us anymore ogs you know folks that you know we cut our teeth in the deer woods Mm -hmm. 
versus you know we have these new outdoors but at the same time i love that there's this much interest in the outdoors. that's that many more advocates and ambassadors we have conservation yeah exactly that's yeah even in the monetary side that's that much more money we got going Pittman robertson just license fees you know that's that much more mm-hmm. going towards what we love Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this wicked double-edged sword with, and it was the same thing we saw even before the hunting seasons with, um, I refer to them as COVID campers. Like <laughs> you could, <laughs> um, you couldn't find a, a camping spot on the rim last year, the the, the muggy and rim, and you couldn't just trying to go fly fishing. Like I remember one time I was trying to hit the East Verde, and you couldn't park the truck. And you know you just want to be going off and hitting some other spots that are more out of the way. That's and it's made folks have to work harder to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But I love that it's as long as so my other pet peeve is you know that's that many more folks that were trashing the outdoors. You mm-hmm. know, that they don't know. Mm-hmm. So that's the other thing is we got to be good stewards to helping them and and getting these folks knowledgeable. But we're doing like don't leave in like. Uh, Oh, I was listening to uh, the BHA podcast, and I loved how they described it, but I forget what it was. But they're talking about um, just the TP oh, on God. the side of the trail. Yeah. Oh, like you can always tell, like if when you're within two miles of the trailhead, because that's when TP starts showing up. <laughs> <laughs> you lost. So that was that was their mark. The folks went in that far, did it, turned around, and walked out. That's but they had two miles. Uh, you start seeing the little white flags on the side of the trail, mm-hmm. and they don't know how to. Do, you know, they don't think about doing cat holes or anything like mm-hmm. that, but. Orange uh, peels. Take your orange peels. Takes so long for those to degrade. Yeah. Orange Actually, peels you know what? My my biggest pet peeve, and this is before, well before COVID, but the folks that are walking, even just on, on our regional parks, like South Mountain. Mm-hmm. South Mountain is huge for it. But the folks that are walking their dogs. Yep. And then the dog does his business. Mm-hmm. They bag it up like you're supposed to. But then they leave the bag on the side of the trail. Because they think somebody's coming up. Exactly. I, I would rather they you think, not bag it. Right. You know? Exactly. Just exactly. It. Just, if, you're, if you're going to leave it there, the you know the defecate, that's biodegradable. Yep. Mm-hmm. The plastic, not so much. I mean, it is, but it takes like 100,000 years to get it to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to get buried or eaten by some bird or something before that. Yep. You know, it's... And you're right. That does put us in a very unique position. And once again, yes, they are competition, but I love it. I love anytime anybody comes in yoked up, wanting to get into bow hunting. They don't want to rifle hunt. They want to bow hunt. Yep. They want to go learn. They want to go get their butts kicked out there and hike. And because they're healthy, they're all a bunch of crossfitters, you know, and they're just yoked up to get out there and go and do. And I've got a couple spots that I give new guys. They probably all show up together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way with the quail, with the quail spots. Everybody's going to one, one spot. spot. That's yeah. where y'all, but it's a good starting point. Right. Right. So we talk to new guys all the time about how to read game, what to do, because they have, I was raised in it, in it. And I think, you know, we are the same, you know, we kind of, because Zach, you cut your teeth on hunting, or did you get into it later on? I got into it later on. Um, I grew up around my uncles. Uh, My dad wasn't, you know, there very much. Um, So they, they all hunted, both, both my uncles, um, they hunted like crazy. My, um, 
my one uncle is one of my main par- hunting partners now, um, and he kind of helped me get into it. The other one was kind of a tough love, you know, like <laughs> he'd, he'd tell you some tips, but he'd be like, just go start hiking, man. You know, you need to figure out places by yourself. Um, they are both like ridiculous elk callers. Um, growing up, I wasn't really interested. Uh, my, my cousin who I, I've lived with, you know, we were like brothers growing up. He always hunted. Um, I fished more than he did. Um, when I got 16, 17, I started getting serious, um, on hunting with him. I'd always go out with them. I'd hike around, you know, I'd listen to him call. They'd get bowls in. It'd be fun. Um, but I ended up getting a bow at 16, 17, um, got real serious at about 17 and, and killed my first deer that next season. But no, it's, it's been a lot of, uh, a lot of learning on the, on the fly, you know? Um, luckily I do have my cousin and my uncle that have helped me walk through it, but no, I didn't grow up in the woods like that. I, I was on the river fishing more than anything. So we lived <laughs> right. on the river. So but you was... were outdoors still like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, and I think that's kind of, um, kind of more what I was getting at more so than just the hunting aspect. Cause well, I mean, that's how I grew up was I was, you know, I, I grew up on Lake Ontario. Yeah. So, I mean, I spent a ton of time in a boat or shore fishing or, you know, and, and that's how we marked the seasons. I didn't care what month it was. Yeah. Just tell me if the season's open or not. Mm. You know, because we start, you know, January, you know, going by calendar, January 1st, we were on the, we're ice fishing, either ice fishing or uh, hunting waterfowl. We would do that um, until it start, started to melt off. Uh, this is before the snow geese really st- stuff really took off. And then we would go out. And then once the ice left, we were looking for steelhead and brown trout yep. in the shallows. And you're doing that until walleye opened up. You chase walleye, then you chase bass, and then you... That's uh, how you started, know where you're at in the year. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then you started hitting the uh, the salmon, mm-hmm. the salmon and the steelhead again. Uh, and then right, right as that rolled off, um, salmon rolled right into our September uh, Canada goose seasons. And then that was rolled into the ducks, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. and that's how it was. And mm-hmm. that, and But you got a lot of these folks that are just getting lucky. You said, I absolutely love that these folks are out here now. Oh yeah. Like it's, and what I really hope is that they don't get frustrated um, because the outdoor world has a tendency to get mean, I guess mm-hmm. we could say, you know, you get on the Facebook groups, oh, you, yeah. get, you get, um, you can't really call them wannabes. Cause a lot of these folks are successful, you know, outdoors folks. But it's that whole. It's, it's it's some of them are tough love and some of them are just pricks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're just not great ambassadors. You no, know? And, and but it seems like it's kind of the they're the ones that speak up more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and I don't know if it's it's the research not the resurgence but the prevalence of R three being a, a huge thing nowadays. So you're starting to see more folks, you know, going out of their way to become a mentor or yes. become uh, a proper. Uh, ambassador ambassador to the sport mm-hmm. but that's one thing that i really hope keeps going so i tell guys i got a lot of guys you know i've been in this long enough to see guys buy their first bows go out have two or three otc seasons and just have a miserable time of it because mm-hmm. um, dude it is rough out here yeah you're three four years in arizona really i mean obviously there's that golden ticket kid <laughs> One of my kids shot a 180 plus inch mule deer off the Arizona Trail. He was out there for a pig hunt with his buddy, and he just happened to have his bow because it was OTC season. He never shot a deer in his life. He'd been on a couple hunts, and they're walking along for this pig hunt. And he looks up, and 
there is a 180 plus inch mule deer walking down the trail with his nose down following does at like 62 yards and he didn't know how big it was but this kid huh ranges it knocks one up dude and shoots a 180 plus inch mule deer off the arizona trail dumps it nope you should shoot your spike you didn't even get your spike dude you got to shoot an 11 you know what i'm saying you got, you got to shoot a nub first but there's those kids but the, the the majority of my guys will go for a couple seasons and they get because bow hunting sucks it does you got to go make so many mistakes talk all the time i talked about it before you get that one shot bow hunting everything has to be so perfect everything the wind the animal your position going to full draw you know position of the animal everything has to be so good to make that that shot to go to full draw and let the pin come up and and, and get that arrow off there and to harvest an animal and you're going to go years before you really make that happen for yourself mm -hmm. stumbling into it's one thing um, it's much more gratifying to me to hunt you know, and to put in that work. And, you know, I don't care if you sit in water. I sit water for coos right now. Last year's buck was just under 90 inches, you know, and just a beauty. And I watched that buck grow. You know, I'll be setting cams at the end of this month, you know. They're going to try to ban those, and that's another conversation. But Yeah, that's one. I, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole thing. Try, but it is what it is. And, hey, my deal is you can, shut, you can shut the cameras down two weeks before the hunt. You know, you can put them off of water. Up on my cameras on saddles, I know where the animals travel. They all come in on the same spot. You know, you can pattern coos deer, mule deer. You can't really pattern that much. But anyway, so new guys, man, I'll tell them, hey, after about their third year, when they come in and talk to me and they're super frustrated, I ask them, do you have a rifle? I'll ask them straight up, do you have a rifle? Well, yeah, I got a rifle. You got like a 308 or what? Most guys got a 308 right now. If you drive a Subaru and got some Tevas on and a man bun, you got a 6.5, so that's cool. You know, so I tell them, hey, man, put it for this unit um october rifle hunt go knock something down like you need to knock an animal down because you will give up you mm -hmm. will quit this it'll go onto the bed and it'll be another lost hobby and we will lost another guy out of there so i got a couple spots and you're not going to shoot a monster buck you know but i got a couple spots i'll give guys that have been after it after it after it that i know that are hiking that are doing it that are that are crushing the miles and doing everything right and not getting the shot i got spots i'll give them go sit here if you sit right here, you're not going to shoot a monster. You're going to shoot a crabby buck, you know, a little three by three or something, you know, but you need to whack your first buck. Right. You got to put them in that W column. Got to go knock one down, dude. You got to get, you got to get an animal on the ground and have that success. And then you can go back to bow hunting. Mm -hmm. Then you can go back, you know, and get back out in the field and keep making the mistakes. And, you know, and they closed down a lot of units this year. We talked about this before. It's been right. a, a couple of years of really hard drought. We murdered animals last year. It was such a hard year. Zach shot his first coos. <laughs> Thought he missed it. Turns out that arrow didn't even slow down, did it? Didn't even, 12 yards. Didn't even <laughs> slow down. Actually came back at me. <laughs> right? So last year was so rough. We haven't had the rains. And if you were sitting in water, you killed something. You know, and then we had bad drought seasons and fires, and so they shut down a lot of units. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of discussion right now about where this is going and what this is looking like for our animal populations, you know. And on a personal level, I'd like to get rid of optics and rifle hunting. <laughs> you get a lot of guys shooting. You know, these rifles are so good now. You can make an 800-yard shot. Easily with some of these, like, mm -hmm. So I'm going to call, call these out because it's still just an absurd thought to me was 
so I was at the Amdell banquet, mm-hmm. the Region 6 banquet the other day. And there was a group there, very, very well known in Arizona group, that specializes in long range mm-hmm. rifles. And they were auctioning off uh, a hunt. Mm-hmm. That's great. It's going to go benefit Amdo. I mean, yeah. that's that's money that's going to conservation. But what they were raffling off was a uh, guided hunt. Um, you got to use one of their firearms, mm-hmm. but they used the term spot and stock and long range hunting in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just looked at the whole table and me and the guy said the same thing at the exact same time. So how is long range spot and stock? It's spot and shot. At it's that spot point. and shot. Yeah. <laughs> spot and shot. It's, it's, and I mean, I got no problem with somebody taking the shot ethically, mm-hmm. but long range, I got, I won't do it. It's just my, my personal I'll hear you can hear him two canyons over. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. Reload. Boom, boom, boom. Walking them in. Yeah. Walking them in, walking them in, walking them in. You know, and then there, there's a, that's a whole other conversation about efficacy, you know, and a fair chase and what this is actually is. Like, I was talking to Randy and, and another guy named Eddie Corona, who does a lot of work for OE4A, and they were talking about doing a dedicated trad only season. Doing a dedicated iron site only, you know, open up some of the units, you know, give some of the good hunts, the earlier hunts, you know, before everybody's had a chance to go in there and bust everything up. Give it to trad only guys. We uh, we started doing that in Oregon a couple of years back. They did a trad only um, in Central Oregon, and one of my buddies actually tagged out on it. Um, a lot less people in the field. A lot less people in the field. Shot a really nice mule deer, but um, from what I've heard, it's. It's going pretty well, you know, and I, I wouldn't mind seeing that for part of the season. That would be definitely interesting to have here because I know that we there is a pretty good trad community here yeah. in, in Arizona, and I think that would be pretty – because, I mean, I'm thinking like East Coast, like Pennsylvania does that. It's late season, but yeah. for instead of having like an inline, like a muzzler season, it's flintlocks only. Mm-hmm. My only issue with that is you get a lot of people picking up a trad bow <laughs> – uh, you right. know just just to get that season and a lot of people that probably shouldn't be out there hunting yet you know it's the same thing we get with with regular archery season as it is but mm-hmm. i can imagine with a trad bow you get a lot of people just picking it up and for the season you know and not putting in the time right trying to take that 60 yard shot with a trad bow just aim high yep. yep you know luckily you pick up a trad bow and put any work in in the range you learn real quick. If it's yeah, past 35 and you ain't ready. Right. They don't call it a struggle stick for nothing. Nothing. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. I mean, I shoot one mm-hmm. um, on and off. I, I, I enjoy that with my compound, but um, I, I haven't hunted with it yet. I, I'm good at 20. Mm-hmm. I'm good at 25. 30, it depends on the day. Right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those... And, and that's using... Because I'm, I'm rating my shots the same way I rate them for my compound mm-hmm. i know what i can do with my compound yeah and i want to try to replicate that with my recurve mm-hmm. uh which it's doable but it's a lot tougher but yep. you know it's the whole thing about like you know shooting a pie plate yeah you know and i can shoot a pie plate at 30 but there's a lot that can go wrong at 30 with a arrow that's only doing 150 feet a second oh yeah i mean there's a lot of stuff that you know it can take a step it can take the i mean the freaking wind can push the <laughs> a branch in the way you know mm-hmm. stuff goes wrong yeah and you know those guys that get after it and i mean i got wicked respect for these guys that are getting out and like your buddy in oregon like that's badass yeah like he shot a muley with a recurve like that's 
You don't hear. I mean, you're starting to hear it more and more. I think it's becoming a fad again. But oh, what's her name? Uh, what's who's that guy? The Kafaru guy. Oh, Snyder. Oh, Aaron that guy. Snyder. Aaron Snyder. Yeah, right. Yeah, talk about influencers. Yeah. <laughs> Homie's yeah. a machine. Fred Eichler, just machines, you know. And, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, but Fred's been shooting it for ever. Yeah, he's been shooting those old. Was it the Hoyt Satori's? Hoyt Satori's. I own a Hoyt Satori. I just got mine. Uh, all I'm no, I'm saying is that he's been shooting oh, yeah. one of those. Uh huh. When I was a kid, I remember watching him huh. on TV doing that. Next time you come in, talk to talk to Randy about Fred. I was all excited. I was at ATA one time. You know, Archery Trade Association, biggest biggest show of the year, and I'm working the booth and running around, hair on fire. It's my first ever big trade show, and Fred Eichler shows up to the booth, man. And I'm just, like, I know who Fred Eichler is, man. This guy's a killer with a struggle stick, you know, and I'm, I'm just yoked up, and I'm talking to this cat, you know, and he's just excited that I'm talking to him. That's a great thing about Fred Eichler. Like, he's he legit. He seems like a, tool, like a cool dude. Dude, he's legit. Yeah. Like, he gets way hyped just talking to you because you're talking to him, and I'm excited, and we're both excited, <laughs> and everybody's having a good time. And he takes off, and Randy comes back to the booth, and I'm like, oh, my God, Fred Eichler was just here hanging out talking to me. He's like, who, Fred? I'm like, yeah, Randy, Fred. He's like, dude, I've known Fred since Fred was 20. You know, if you watch uh, some of his older Easton videos, that's up at Randy's property. You know? Really? Like, oh, yeah, him and Eichler have been bow hunting together. They were hunting together for a long time. He'd come up here to hunt whitetail and stuff. But really interesting guys, but, you know, nobody knows who Fred Eichler is anymore. You know, we do because Fred Eichler, everybody now has Snyder because homie's a machine, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, just an absolute machine. So, yeah, the trad in, luckily enough, people will pick up a trad bow and figure out real quick it's not easy. You know, it's not like shooting a compound, man, you yeah. know. Just our range is so good with compounds, and it's just rock and roll. So, and just there's, a, there's a lot of things like with a compound that you can just dump off on a pro shop, and I feel like a lot of people do. Whereas with a with a recurve or a trad bow, there's a lot of things you got to take into your own hands, and people just don't want to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's it's minimal gear. Yeah. Like there's you got a bow, a string, an arrow, and your finger tab. Yep. Only so much he can do. You know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to broadhead tune. Yeah. I mean, you can do it a little bit, but... Yeah, we can tune arrows. Right, exactly. I mean, but yeah. as far as you're going to shoot off the shelf, or you're going to shoot off a little... Uh, I forget those little wire rests are called, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you don't, you're not going to get a drop away. There's mm-hmm. no whisker biscuits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's... I mean, it's the real deal, and yeah. it's a lot of work. Well, that's the natural progression as a hunter, is to go from rifle to compound bow to trad bow right you get tired of killing stuff i guess i'm not nah, at no. that point yet i'm not <laughs> I know at the point where about. i'm tired of killing <laughs> stuff but you know i deal with i do you know obviously like i said once again being in this shop man I, I yeah i know some some guys that are ridiculous they kill every year with a with a trad bow shooting instinctual off the shelf yeah. you know and i talk to them about their hunts and it's amazing you know but to be a, a hunter of that level because they're closing to within Oh, you're inside 30 of 30 yards, yeah. dude. You know, getting in there, putting in that work and knowing your animals and, and really being that level of hunter to be able to go out there and do that with, with that piece of equipment. I'm not there yet, dude. I love shooting my recurve. I finally got mine. I smashed my finger so I couldn't <laughs> shoot it for a couple of weeks and was pissed. But, you know, and but getting into shooting it because it is so difficult to do. My yeah. compound bow, I could pick up right now and put them in a Copenhagen lit at 80 yards. Yeah just off the shelf you know i'm in a position where i shoot bows for a living so it's not you know that's just it's just it's 
It's, it's my profession. It's just what I get paid to do is to shoot bows well. You know, but the recurve, you could pay me all the money in the world. It ain't going to make me any better recurve shooter. Yep. You know? So, yeah, there's a lot of different hunts going on. This year is going to be a very difficult year again. You know, we're not going to – everybody's praying for rain right now. And, and I mean, they're, they're if you're going by the Farmer's Almanac, they're saying it's going to be a heavy monsoon, but we're not going to know that for another month or so. Because mm -hmm. what's the unofficial is what, July 4th? Yep. It was the unofficial beginning of, of monsoon season. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to see that. I mean, I hope they do. Yep. I mean, I, I really hope – I mean, like uh, – uh, is it Water for Wildlife that AES does? Mm -hmm. You know, they're trucking a lot of water already. Oh, yeah. And we're not even into the hot months yet. No. I mean, it's only, I say it's not the hot months. I mean, we're going to hit 100 this year. We've already hit 100 three or four times this year. Mm -hmm. But well, dude, there we're, are we're not peaked, yeah. Are, no, not even close. There are tanks right now that are dry that haven't been dry in 30 years. Yeah. 30 years these tanks have held water. I was up north in turkey season. Uh, I mean, they were still getting snow on the ground once in a while, but the, those tanks... Which you know, with snow on the ground, you know, mm -hmm. with some rains, they should have been full. Yep. yep. They were at 25, 30 percent, and that was before the hot. You know, that's when it was still in the 20s every morning. Mm -hmm. I was just up there this weekend turkey hunting, and they were they were all really low. They're really, wicked really low. low. I mean, it's gonna make a, and I mean these dirt tanks. I mean, they're not gonna get they're not gonna get water trucked to them. No. I mean, they're gonna be mm -hmm. a lot of. It's gonna, like you said, with the whole the whole predator thing. It's going to bring a lot of, it's going to really concentrate our wildlife. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, those critters that you're going to leave those canyons or they're going to perish in those canyons. Mm -hmm. There's only two ways about it. Yep. Um, or they might leave those canyons and perish in a tank because that's, you know, that's where the lions are going to be. Mm -hmm. That's where, uh, you know, in some of these units that have those, the, the, the gray wolves, mm -hmm. that's where they're going to be. They're going to go huh. where the food is. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. So it's going to, it's going to be a wicked year on a wildlife. Cause, I mean, everybody's going to want to talk about the, like what's gonna do with the antlers you, you know like that's i can guarantee you somebody's already listening to this going well talk about what's gonna do with the you gotta you gotta have antlers exactly on them, if there's know? not an elk there i don't give a shit what's on top of his head yeah yeah mm -hmm. you know because it's if he's not healthy he's not gonna grow yep i mean and yeah some units are a little more drought resistant but you start looking at your seven wests you know there's a lot yeah where, where it's really only ranchers yeah you know keeping their waters on you know and all the different foundations hauling water and stuff and it's going to be a if we don't see rain it's going to be a hard year there's going to be a lot of donated tags tag turned back in which is a good thing with point guard btw if you don't know what point guard is get point guard yeah, it's know. five bucks just buy it yeah well dude if, you, if you're 13 years into waiting for a good tag and it looks like it's going to be a trash year you know, I, I put in for one in 27 only, you know, and I'm almost glad this year I didn't draw that tag. Zach's over here nodding because he wants me to go suffer in Oregon so bad. <laughs> I was so happy he didn't draw that. Well, it's the last year east of the Cascades, apparently, they're offering an OTC, you know, banger out there. So, um, but, you know, I want that 127 tag. I want to hunt in my backyard. I'm an Arizona kid. I was, I was born in Tempe St. Luke's, man. I'm born and raised here. You know, we don't get those good tags enough so looking at the year if the monsoons didn't hit if it was going to be a hard year man i'm you know i'm of the mind i'll wait another year for a good tag man rather than go out there and and burn a decade worth of waiting for a good elk tag right because there's always there's an, there's an otc season somewhere mm -hmm. like you don't have to hunt here no 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 
Zach and I went to Colorado and got our butts kicked. Mm-hmm. They had a really weird early snow. The sign was good, but we never saw a brown body. You know, man, so we like, saw some brown bodies. Well, yeah, there were some deers out there. They were, well, they were on ranches. Right. Well, oh yeah, to well, be fair, uh, somebody we <coughs> saw some bulls. <laughs> Jay Scott, his ranch had a uh, oh, yeah, they had all dropped out of the high and were already down on private land and stuff. But you can always hunt OTC and go rock and roll. There's, there's plenty of hunts to do, and everybody has this idea that I can't go hunt out of state. And Zach and I talk about this all the time preparation and execution right yeah if you want to do it it's available to you mm-hmm. you know you just got to be willing to maybe not drink starbucks every day you know normally i weld and do all this side work and that's how i pay for my hunting but you know this last year i've been so busy but i set money aside because i hunt mm-hmm. you know i don't really take vacations man I, I plan to hunt if i'm not hunting elk in arizona i'm hunting elk somewhere Apparently, Zach's really excited because it looks miserable out there, dude. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one, he says, man. Apparently, <laughs> it rains out there. and I'm gonna, I'm made out of sugar, baby. I get wet, I melt, man. It's always sugar? No, I'm made out of sugar, dude. As yeah, soon as I it starts raining. melted, but I didn't think it was sugar. No, it's sugar something, dude. Let me go out there and get my butt kicked. I'm 40-something. All these kids are 20-something, man. I got to start doing my step-ups. <laughs> right, there you go. But, uh, no, all right, I think... Not sure what else we haven't covered, but we're going to cut it off for today. <laughs> yeah, 100%. hope everybody enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah, shoot your bow. Please shoot your bow. Uh, uh, I want to end on one thing. Yep. Do not wait until July to try and get your bow restrung. As, a, as my, my biggest pet peeve as a pro shop guy, we do not manufacture strings. Most pro shops, I don't care where you're at, are not going to have strings for your bow. The closer we get to season, the string manufacturers are going to be backed up. You need to get in now, get your bow restrung, get it tuned, and get out there, get shooting, make sure your gear is 100%, visit your local pro shop, you know, go talk to your guys, see what's going on, get your bow absolutely tip-top, shoot it a lot, man. Don't wait. Don't wait. It's a long time to wait for that, but uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's, I think that's a good place to stop. So Travis, Zach, can't thank you guys enough for coming on. Thanks yeah. for having uh, us. 100%. All right. Catch you all next time. Appreciate you.